0: All right, let's kind of gather, finish up our conversations and gather our seats and we'll get started here. Well, welcome. Welcome. It's good to be with you guys tonight. Um, Wow, what a week, huh? Some of you are... Got lots of different things going on in school and at work, and we have uh, one of the ways we're growing the church is by birth of new members. And so, where did where did Deason go? He skipped out. He went to check on the baby. So, uh, what was it? Wednesday that Eli Asher was born. Tuesday. Yeah. So, pretty exciting. So, um, we're going to j- jump into Matthew. We've been in the book of Matthew for about three weeks now. We're going to be going through Matthew for probably the next year or so. Um, and we're excited about that. But um, just a couple thoughts to share before we jump into the scriptures, and then we can pray together. Um, I didn't realize when Matt, Matt asked me to share this week on the, the Magi um, that it was going to be difficult for me. And uh, one of the reasons, as I was reflecting back, was this last Thursday marks the three-year anniversary of my mom's death. And so the whole week for me was this week of reflection and introspection and spending some time with my dad and, and talking to my brothers and sisters and kind of reflecting on my mom in our life. And I guess for me, the, the Magi... Um, was impactful for a couple of reasons. One was that my mom loved Christmas. It was far and away her most favorite holiday of the year. And she would get excited. She'd start shopping for Christmas in January. And she had, I don't know, she had nine grandkids and she had uh, probably about ten great-grandkids. And she had a, she had a whole um, closet in one bedroom that was just full of stuff that she would buy for people throughout the year. But I remember right after Thanksgiving, my, she'd tell my dad, okay, we got to get the stuff out. And she had like a whole room down in the basement. Not, not just a cupboard, but like a room that was like half the size of this room that was just her Christmas room. And so she would like transform the house. Unbelievable, right? But she loved it. She loved everything about it. She loved the music. She loved family getting together. And she loved nativity scenes. And so she did not have just one, and she did not have just two, but she put out at least three nativity scenes around the house. And she had one nativity scene that, that I remember when I was growing up. And so this thing, you know, it's been around since the Ancient of Days, right? Um, but at least 40 or so years ago, she started, you know, putting this one out. And it was kind of one, she put it up on this high back table and uh, she would like put a winter snow land around her to look like, uh, to look like the, the sand or whatever. And she'd have the little manger and she'd put out all the animals. And it was kind of the one that was in the place of honor. And then she had another one in another corner. And I remember when, when Coulter was small and his cousins would come, they wanted to play with the nativity scene. And so she went out and she bought one that she would put on the floor so that the kids could play with it. And, and they would kind of gather around this thing and they would be playing with it. And, and they'd play for hours with the shepherds and the sheep. And they would play with the camels and the kings. And they especially loved the kings, right? And every nativity scene has these three kings or three wise men. And that's kind of where we enter into the story tonight. Talking about who these magi, who these wise men as we know them were, and what kind of importance or significance do they play, not only in the nativity story, the birth of Jesus story, but in our lives as well. So before we jump into the, the scripture in Matthew chapter 2, uh, would you pray with me, please? Lord, we just, uh, we just come before you and, and just acknowledge, Lord, that you are our king, that you are our savior and our king, and in ways that we sometimes can't even imagine. Lord, you break into our lives, and you bring hope and truth and life and forgiveness. So we just just declare, Lord, as your people that we thank you, and we praise you for that. And uh, we pray, Lord, tonight as we look at your word, um, would you speak clearly to our hearts and give us, Lord, your words to encourage us for the days and the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read along starting in verse 1. Probably the heading under the section is called The Magi Visit the Messiah. It says After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the laws, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah." For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Lots of things going on in this story. Got the birth of Jesus, right, that Karsh talked about last week. You've got these mysterious magi who are traveling to following this star who are coming to find out where he was. And I think there's a few things we need to understand about the passage as we look at it today. And the first pertains to the, to the ancient Near East, to this area where they're coming from. In this time period in history, the people believed in signs and they believed in oracles and they believed in these prophetic words. So there was this expectation It was not only in the area of Bethlehem and in Jerusalem and in the Jewish people, but there was an expectation throughout that entire area that something was happening. And so it was very common in the time period that Jesus was born into that the the Romans and the Persians and the Jewish people, they all had this this sense of symbolic culture, meaning that written into the fabric of of what they believed and what their expectations were, was someone was coming. And there was an expectation of that. I think there's uh, something to put up on the screen here. Barclay's commentary on on Matthew says this. It says, it may seem extraordinary that these men, the Magi, should set out from the east to find a king. But the strange thing is that just about the time Jesus was born, there was in the world an overwhelming feeling of expectation waiting for the coming king. Even Roman historians knew about this. Roman historians wrote there had spread over all the Orient an established belief that it was fated that at the time, at that time, for a leader to be coming from Judea to rule the world. A writer, Suetonius, wrote this: There was a firm persuasion that at the very time, the east, at, at that very time in the east. Would, come, uh, uh, would become powerful and rulers from Judea were to acquire this universal empire. The Jewish historian Josephus went on to write, the Jews had the belief that about that time one of their leaders would arise to become ruler of the inhabited world. This wasn't just the Jewish people. This was the Greeks, the Romans, the entire ancient Near East was waiting for something to happen. And the world was anticipating that this king was coming. Anticipating a king, a promised one, a chosen one, the anointed one, the one who we know as the Lord of lords and the king of kings now. And that's where we enter into the beginning of our passage. And as we look at this section in Matthew, we're going to focus on three main characters. The first of these being Jesus, if you want to follow along just in the beginning of Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. So the first character in this passage is Jesus. Matt talked about him last week, baby Jesus born. What does it look like to have the God of the universe, being born into human flesh, the incarnation it's called, coming into our humanity, coming into what it looks like to live as a human. And so he's the first character in this part of the story. We look at these main characters after we have the birth of Jesus, this prophetic culmination, the incarnation of God in human form. We need to realize that at this point in Israel's history, There's been about 400 years of expectation for them. If you know anything about the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi is the last writing or the last book of the Old Testament. And it's generally known that there's about a 400-year period between Malachi writing his book and Jesus showing up on the scene. So, Imagine, if you will, and we have writings that occurred throughout this period. There's, there's books called the Maccabees that talk about things a couple hundred years before Jesus was born. There's all kinds of writings in this area. There's the Septuagint that was made. And so we know that during this period, the same expectation that was occurring at this time have been kind of moving forward. They were waiting for this, this Messiah to come, this anointed one. And they were waiting for him because most of the prophetic words and books in the Old Testament were pointing to this king coming, pointing to this chosen one coming. Malachi 3 verse 1 says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come says the Lord Almighty. So going back even before this 400-year period, going back to the promise of Abraham and going back to the promise of David, if you were here with us when, when Deason was talking about Jesus being the son of Abraham and the son of David, all of this prophetic voice that was, was kind of made towards Jesus coming is coming into play. And, and they're, they're starting to expect that these things are going to come to pass. And there's a general expectation in this area that this was the time that this was taking place. Expecting that their Messiah was going to come. And then after that 400 years of silence, suddenly that silence is broken. But it's not broken in the way that they were expecting. Because what were they expecting? They were expecting this kind of warrior king to come and to to kind of take out Rome and to restore the the Jewish people, the the people of Israel, to this place of prominence. And yet the silence was broken, not with a sword and a rider, but the silence was broken with the cries of a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. So a little background on Bethlehem. Bethlehem was this town about 10 kilometers from Jerusalem. the, The name actually means house of bread, city of bread. And and Bethlehem was located not only south of Jerusalem, but it's the same city. Do you remember in the genealogy when Matt was talking about this uh, imperfect line that was kind of weaved through that Jesus came from? And some of the people that were spoken, some of the women that were spoken in the line. This is the the same city that Rachel was uh, brought into the people of God in the city of Bethlehem. The wife of Jacob died after giving birth to her 12th son, completing the 12 tribes of Israel and later Ruth when she marries Boab. This takes place in in Bethlehem. It's probably best known as the city of David's birth. It's where David was born. Do you remember the story of Samuel being called by God after Saul had kind of walked away from his calling as being the anointed first king of Israel? And so God told Samuel to go and anoint the second king. Where did he go? He went to Bethlehem where, where David's family live, where David was from, where David was born. Bethlehem is where our Savior, Jesus, is born. Not a small thing to think about for so many, almost a thousand years, the prophetic words that were spoken about what was going to take place came to pass. The next characters we have in the story are these Magi. Magi is where we get our modern word for magician. They come from the the farthest eastern reaches of the Roman Empire, a place called Parthia, be called Babylon in the Old Testament. Kind of modern day Iraq today, if you want to put it on a a map. And the Magi were uh, an interesting group of people. They were a mixture of scientists and math magicians and astrologists and they studied the stars and and they had this this kind of a mixture of of magic and mathematics and astrology they were smart people they were learned people and they believed wholeheartedly that by studying the stars they could learn things about the future they first come into play in the bible in the book of daniel Daniel was taken into exile, if you remember, he and his people. And uh, he was brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, who had had this dream. And all of his, Nebuchadnezzar called together his court, he called together his magi to tell him what does this dream mean. And it was Daniel who came and interpreted the dream. And he got elevated to a place of kind of authority over these, this group of individuals, the Magi. And so it's not, un, it wouldn't be too far to, to think that Daniel had an influence on this group of people. He oversaw them for a period of time. So much so that, that the, the Magi throughout the next 800 years kind of developed a monotheistic theology. They believed in one God. We don't know if they believed in Yahweh, Israel's God, but we know that they believed in one God. And they knew that there was, it was likely that they had studied both the Jewish scriptures and the other scriptures of the ancient Near East. And so these are the people who are studying and waiting and expecting something to happen. They're doing it by looking at the stars. They're doing it by, by, by keeping a close account of what's happening up in the heavens. And they begin to see something happen. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't know when it says that that we saw his star rise in the east. We don't know if if it was a planetary alignment and all of a sudden one of the planets got really bright. It's a theory. We don't know if if God actually just placed another star in the sky. Possible. Certainly within his realm of, of, of ability. We don't know what it was. We simply know this. We simply know that the Magi saw something that was important enough for them to follow. And what they did was they followed the light that God gave them. It's an important thing for us to think about. Here were some men that we don't even know. They certainly weren't Christians at the time, right? They certainly weren't followers of Jesus because they were following Jesus as the infant child, they were following what was going to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to, play, to pay tribute to him, but they weren't following him in the context that we follow him today. And yet, no less than the Magi, God provides opportunities for us to have our thoughts, our lives, through people, through the word, through circumstances, illumined so that we can follow the path that he wants to put us on. They followed the light that God gave them. They were seeking the one that they were expecting. And God is still revealing himself today to people who are seeking him. In 2007, I had a chance to go with a really good friend of mine from England to a remote section of India in the state of Orissa. And we went there to visit uh, a friend named Bancha Bancha Nidi Nayak is his name. And there was this group of Christians in this area of the state of Orissa, which is very much a Hindu state. About 96% of the entire population of the state of Orissa is Hindu. And they are one of the seven states in India that have persecution laws on the books that says if you try to proselytize, in other words, if you try to share another religion with the people, people can openly persecute you and kill you and no questions asked. So we go into this place, and we're going into a little town called Kumbarkupa. It's about seven miles from nowhere. <laughs> Taking this jeep road back in. And if you've ever been to India, it's unlike any place on earth. There are people everywhere. I don't know, was there like two, no, about 1.5 billion people in the size, about half the size of the United States. There's a lot of people there. We get to this uh, little village and, and we find that there are Christians everywhere. They start asking Mancha, how, how does this come to happen? And he told me a story. He said when his grandfather, uh, like 60 years before, his grandfather had been the animist priest of the village. So they worshiped plants and animals and trees and rocks and things of nature. That's what animism is. Kind of more inanimate objects, not, not living creatures. And he had two sons. One of them was Bancha's father. He sent them off to this uh, village to learn English. Some Baptist missionaries had come and had set up about 200, 300 kilometers away, this little school. And so he sent him there to to learn, to get educated. And while they were gone, his wife had this dream. And in this dream, this man came who was all this long white hair and these long white robes. And he said, I am Peter and I have come to show you the one you are to worship. She didn't have any idea who Peter was. They had not heard about anything to do with the Bible or Jesus or the disciples, anything like this. The sons came back after about six months. And after the wife had shared with the husband, who's the animus priest, he says, you know, I don't know who Peter is. They're telling the story to the two sons. And the oldest son who's about 12 years old at the time, says, I know who Peter is. Peter is one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. And he is the one that we are worshiping as our God now infuriated the the father. So much so that he sent them out into the jungle, a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, in rural jungle India. This is lion, not lions, this is tigers and elephants and snakes and scary stuff out there. And after a couple months, he expected them to be dead within a few weeks. After a couple months, he sees that they're still out kind of you know, his, his people, when they're going out, That th- these two young boys are still alive. So he brings them back in. He goes, how is it that you're still living? He said, our, our God is providing for us. This is a 12-year-old. He, he, he can't believe this, so he has to know. He goes, well, tell me more about this. He, the 12-year-old shares what he knows about the gospel of Jesus with his father, and the father says, I have to worship your God. He becomes a Christian by his son sharing about Jesus through the dream that the wife had about this person named Peter. The father goes to the elders of the village and says, I can't be your priest anymore. I'm, I'm following Jesus. He's now my God and my Savior. I'm sitting in Bansha's living room, and I'm just wide-eyed listening to this story. And the elders were furious at first, and the father fully expected that he and his family were going to be killed. A day later, they came to him and they said, we've talked it over, and we only know how to worship a God because you're our priest, so we're going to start worshiping your God. So because of the testimony of a 12-year-old boy, had heard about Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, and God speaking to the mother through a dream when she didn't even ask, wasn't even asking about it, this whole village becomes Christian. This whole village starts to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And 60, 70 years later, we're going into this village and being able to speak into the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has provided all kinds of blessing over this region. God still speaks through ways that we don't understand. If we are willing to follow the light that he lays before us, God's still going to speak to you guys. Whether, whether you're at school or you're at work, you're parents, you're newly married... God is still in the business of speaking to people. We simply have to have the faith to be willing to listen to him and to follow the leading that he provides. And so I want to ask you just a simple question tonight. And and that is, are you seeking and following the light that God is placing before you? Are you seeking and following the light that God is placing before you? Because not everybody does. We come to the next character in the story, and his name is Herod, King Herod. King Herod was also known as Herod the Great. He was called Herod the Great because he was the greatest king politically Israel ever had in maintaining peace with Rome during this time frame. He was really good at politics. He was really good at working the angles. Really good at maintaining this relationship with Rome. And he was a good architect and a builder. He rebuilt the temple to to its former, greater than its former glory. His house, his personal household is still considered this architectural feat that if you go to Jerusalem, you'll want to visit and take a look at. So he rebuilt the temple He built all these buildings and structures. There was peace in the region. He was a very influential and powerful powerful king. But he was a ruthless and wicked man. In fact, um, he he was so ruthless that he would kill his own family to maintain his own kingdom. Killed his sons, killed his father-in-law. Caesar Augustus once was... uh, Someone wrote down that Caesar Augustus said it was better to be a pig, a pig in Herod's household than to be one of his own sons. Not a good guy. So we we come to this picture of this second character, King Herod, and, and he would do anything to maintain control of what he had. And I think in the story, that's kind of the picture that he plays for us as we look at it. We have these three or more wise men. We don't know exactly. Actually, it's probably a caravan who came of at least 100 people with all their provisions and their guards. And then we have this King Herod who was willing to do anything to hold on to what he thought was his, what he had created, his own little kingdom. And so Herod, in the story for us, becomes a picture of the things that maybe in our lives that we're, we're so wrapped up and holding on to that, that we're not willing to let God either have control of them or take them and turn them into something that he has in store for us. Matthew goes on to say in Matthew 2, 3, and 5, when Herod heard that he, this, when he heard about the Magi coming, he was disturbed And all Jerusalem with him. I can imagine that Jerusalem would be disturbed if he was disturbed. Because he wasn't a good guy, right? He had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, they said, in Judea. For this is what the prophet has written. Referring to Micah 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. So around 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Micah is writing down these prophetic words that are speaking about the birth of Christ coming to Bethlehem, coming to Judah. And isn't it interesting to note that in spite of Herod, the steps of the Magi were confirmed by the word of God. Even though they may not have been seeking the word of God, God used his word through Herod calling together his chief priests to confirm what they were doing. They saw this star rising in the east. They knew from all of the ways that they knew how to interpret the, the, the stars in the heavens, something great was happening. And they came, and it was through Herod calling together his chief priests and asking them, what's going on? They said, yeah, we know about this. This is what the prophet Micah talked about. We knew that he was coming, and we know that he is coming to Bethlehem. So the the presence of the Lord, the long-awaited Messiah, arrives, and Herod's response is to be deceitful and hostile, acting to protect his own kingdom. And I'm sure Herod was asking himself, if if he is the Lord, if this Jesus, this baby, is the Lord, the Messiah, the anointed one, what's going to happen to me? Right? Right? what's going to happen to me what about my kingdom i would think that in fact really if we if we look at it a little bit further if if the bible is true if what the prophet micah said and the and the the disciple matthew wrote down and and the, the it all points to Jesus as the Messiah, what's our response? I mean, are we going to respond like King Herod to protect what is ours to rule? Or will we respond like the Magi, the wise men who are seeking to worship him? And really, that's the reality of what we face today in the passage. We're we're faced with one of the two choices. Either we're willing to, to accept Jesus as Lord and King, or we're going to hold on to everything we have as tight as we can for as long as we can It's interesting that um, this religious elite the the chief priests in Herod's day they, they knew where the Messiah was to be born. they confirmed that the Messiah that they'd been waiting for for four hundred years was was going to be born in Bethlehem and the the, the the Magi who came, seeking the one who was to be born, they confirmed where it was in Bethlehem, and yet they're less than they're less than ten kilometers away. They don't go to visit him. Lots of ways to hold on to what we have. And yet the magi, they journeyed on. It says in Matthew two verses nine and ten, after they heard the King. They went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, it says, they were overjoyed. The magi, the magi these, these men who were traveling to, to find what was there were overjoyed. In fact, they had, they had found what they were seeking. And, and I guess the question that, that is, begs from this text is, are we content to just sit back and... And look at the stars? Or are we willing to interact and act with God when He makes Himself known to us? See, the Magi, they changed their lives to follow this star. They could have been journeying for a year or two to get to Jesus. In fact, it's likely, it's pretty for certain, they didn't show up on the night He was born. Because Herod later on he asked that all the, the male children Is that me? Someone's phone is going off. I'm gonna I'm gonna just decline that for you. I'm gonna try to recapture my thoughts momentarily there. See, it, today it would be like following a, uh, a text message, I guess, right? No worries. I was, I was actually teaching one time a few years ago, and I was telling everybody to turn off their cell phones, and about halfway through the teaching time, my cell phone went off. So <laughs> it happens to all of us. But the Magi, they're, they're overjoyed. And um, they changed their lives to follow this star. They changed their lives. And really, as a follower of Jesus, we should be willing to do the same. Shouldn't we? But do we? Does who Jesus is impact our lives day to day? I mean, are we really seeking to follow him the way they were seeking to follow him? If, if we were to ask, and if we were to ask people about the same types of questions that the Magi were asking, and people were looking at our response, would they be able to see Jesus through us? Or would they just sit there and wonder what's going on? Who are you? See, the Magi were following God, and they were led to a place of joy and worship. they were overjoyed Matthew 2 verse 11 says on coming to the house they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh and they they you know they planned to bring something that was of worth to this king they brought their best It's other people that have talked about the significance of the frankincense and the gold and the myrrh. Really what we need to, what I'm focusing on is the fact that they brought something of value. They brought something that was worth something to them and they presented it before this king and they said, I want to pay tribute to you. I want to honor you, who you are. They brought their best to God, and that's really all God asks of us, to bring our all, to bring our best, to surrender our lives to the Anointed One, to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we do that, when we're willing to do that, we find ourselves receiving so much more, just like the Magi. We receive love and joy and true peace, the life of abundance that Jesus himself promised in John 10.10. He said, I have come that you might have life and have life to the full, have that abundant life. Finally, in verse 12, it says, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They returned by another route. In other words, they changed course. And I want to warn you that if you're willing to follow Jesus, if you're willing to follow the light that Jesus lays before your path, your life will change course. You won't stay on the same course you're on. And you'll be redirected by the Holy Spirit to go and do and be a different kind of person. And it will change your life. And in doing so, you may have to give up a few things, things that are important to you. You may have to take some of those things and lay them at the foot of Jesus. But I guarantee you, it's worth it. So I just want to end with kind of a simple little question for us. We looked at three different characters, we looked at Jesus for sure at the beginning. But we looked at the Magi, right, these followers, these people that were willing to follow Jesus. We looked at Herod, and we looked at his kind of chief priests. And I want to ask, who, who do you most identify with right now? I mean, do you see yourself as a follower? Do you see yourself willing to look for the light and to follow the light and, and to put yourself in places that may not be exactly what you were expecting? Or do you, do you identify more with Herod and the chief priest right now and really life is pretty good and you just want to kind of hold on to things? Jesus wants us to give him what we have and to offer it to him. And what he promises is to take what we have and to take our lives and turn them into the people and the lives of That God intended us to be. It's as simple as that. The Magi were willing to change their lives to follow Jesus. Are we willing to do the same? Seek Him. If you seek Him, you will find Him. And when you find Him, give Him your best. And I promise you, you will enter into the abundant life that is promised. By Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior of your life. Let's pray. Lord, we just, uh, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you were born a man. The, 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 the God of the universe was, the universe was willing to, to, to take on human form and to come into to life to experience what it means to, to be happy and sad and cold and warm and, and, and full of blessing and want. And Father, I, I just pray that as we enter into this next month, as we journey towards what we consider to be the Christmas season, Lord, may, may Christ be ever at the center of our thoughts, ever at the center of our decisions. Lord, may, may the anointed one, Fill us with the light that we can follow. Give us the strength and the grace to follow that, Lord, when you illumine the path before us. Lord, help us to to hear clearly your voice, to see clearly the path. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, the things that you have planned for each one of us here tonight. Father, pour out your blessing, and we will receive with great thankfulness, Lord, the abundance that you have planned for us and in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We, uh, we have the privilege tonight of sharing the table that Jesus prepared for us. It's interesting that um, so much of Scripture points to gathering around this meal and sharing it together with friends. And in the midst of doing that, we become more and more the body of Christ. So I want to invite you tonight. We have an open communion table here at River's Edge. I want to invite you to come up and take a bit of the wafer and to dip it in the, the juice bowl there and take it back to your seat and hold on to it. And would you just reflect while you're sitting there so that we can take together, would you just reflect upon the fact that, that Jesus is still calling us into relationship and into purpose with him? And so just ask him, Lord, what do you have for me? What, what do you have in store for me? We have a prayer team on the back wall. If you'd like individual prayer, you can go back and talk to Ian or one of the other prayer team members. So I invite you now to just come and let's share in this table together.